This is the With a Dog Podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Hello, people with a dog. Thank you for joining me. I apologize for missing last week. I think it was needed, though. I I feel so much better after my cold. It's a bummer I had to reschedule some stuff, but sometimes I forget the realities of podcasting is that there's an entertainment value. This is so meta that I'm like telling you guys about it, <laughs> but I I just mean that it's not just like, oh, I, I'm mentally unwell or I'm physically unwell, like I hurt myself or whatever. It's like I need to be on it in order to interview a guest. It's not like a meeting at work where you can kind of just be like, oh, I don't feel good, but you can get through it. It's like, no, I need to be engaging and trying to ask insightful questions and and make it worth their time as well if I interview a guest and, of course, make it worth all of your guys' time. And then also my voice has to be sounding okay. And my voice was not sounding okay when I had that cold. And I was not on top of my game as far as stringing together coherent thoughts. It was just a reality, I think, of podcast life that when you can't do some of those things, you're going to need to reschedule and, and take a week. So thank you for being so supportive of that. I still am rescheduling those guests. So today is a FWOD episode for you. So that's Friends with a Dog. This is an exclusive episode that came out back in April with Charlotte, Ashley, and I. So the FWOD squad, which is all of our Friends with a Dog exclusive episode listeners, you have probably already heard this episode if you listened to it back in April. I am putting out a very special episode for you this month in order to make it up to you. Since you've already heard this, I feel bad because the people who subscribe to the exclusive episodes, you're paying for the exclusivity. And so I, I always really try not to interchange the episodes. Like I try not to put an episode out that people have paid for to then just make it free to the masses because then it's, I don't know, I just kind of feel like it's not quite fair. Um, anyway, so I try not to do this often, but it was needed. So as I said, FWOD squad, I'm making it up to you. You're going to get a really good episode, uh, exclusive tea spilling episode this month. So if anyone has been wanting to sign up for the exclusive episodes, this month may actually be a good time for you. Anyway, so the episode today, as I said, came out back in April. It is between Charlotte, Ashley, and I, and we're talking about red flags slash deal breakers within rescues and shelters. It's not an all-encompassing discussion about all of those red flags and deal breakers that you can see. So it's not about like discerning a good shelter or rescue necessarily. The background is we wanted to talk about how we decided to champion certain causes. So if we support a certain rescue, we we donate our time or money or anything to a shelter, we advocate for them, whatever. We we have to decide, you have to look at that shelter rescue or organization and determine if they're good or not. In this episode, Ashley talks about like how you can tell something is a puppy mill. I talk about my experience at a shelter. Um, Charlotte also drops some really good information about like policies and breeders and um, policies like in contracts at, from a shelter or rescue, things like that. So it was a really interesting discussion. But small disclaimer, this episode was an FWOD episode. So it was never meant to be a with a dog podcast episode. There is some background noise. There's um, like we're talking to the dogs or something at one point. It's not an extremely organized episode. It is what our FWOD squad has come to expect of. It's just a discussion between three people, like three friends. So we kind of go on tangents and then circle back around to something. It's kind of just a, an ebb and flow of a discussion more than purely hardcore informational. But it's still got some really good info in it. It's still got a lot of really great insights into different organizations and what's a, a red flag or deal breaker within them. So I hope you enjoy the episode. 
Next week, we should be back with a guest, and I will see you guys then. Let's jump into it with Charlotte Ashley and I. All right. Do you want to say welcome to the F-Wad people, Charlotte? You want to kick us off? Hey, Flawed Squad. It's your girls, Charlotte, Carly, and Ashley. It's <laughs> Today your we're talking about... It's your girls. Today we are talking about how to assess organizations or causes that you want to work with in the dog community. Yes. And we'll t- discuss like kind of our personal philosophies and the things that we look into when we choose a cause to support or maybe not a cause, but an organization or thing yeah. to support. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of layers to this um, because there's so many causes out there and we all have like the ability on social media or see a lot of things on social media. And then there's also always the thing like reshare this and donate here and stuff that I don't know. It can get very overwhelming. And so I'm excited and to also, talk about this. Nothing is perfect. That's part of it too. Like Figuring no organization. Personal boundaries are. Yeah. No organ even the best organization is not perfect. Yeah. Some are just much better than others. Yes, for sure. Ashley, do you want to tell everyone how to tell if something is not a puppy mill or how to tell if something is a puppy mill? <laughs> um, this is Ashley's favorite subject. <laughs> uh, so are Go you asking down, yes. like how to tell if something – if you're buying like, what are puppy some mill red f- or you're getting like wor- looking at an organization that might be associated with one? Both. Like, just, like, what are some red flags that you're, like, mm, I think they source their dogs from puppy mill? Or red flags that, like, I think this is a puppy mill? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Lots of puppies that are purebred. Mm. That's number one. Um, all the time. All the time. It's okay for every once in a while because that happens. But if they are constantly having purebred puppies, especially popular breeds and designer mixes that is like the biggest red flag for me um we need so, to have a button we need to have uh, a little, like <laughs> red flag <laughs> puppy mill you really should though red flag yeah. deal breaker <laughs> yeah um because unfortunately um some organizations that are labeling themselves as rescues are just buying a bunch of puppies from puppy mills and calling it a rescue situation. Or there's there's situations where puppy mills will have like auctions to get rid of the rest of their dogs. And these rescues will go and just buy these puppies in the auction. Um, I hate when that happens. So I don't support that because that um, you need to be shutting down the source. You need to not be perpetuating the source. Um, mm-hmm. and to me that just creates a cycle. Um, if it, if the organization is like, Hey, like the government and we worked with the cops to shut down this puppy mill and now they have all these dogs we got to like home so they don't end up somewhere else. Like, great. Yeah. Sounds good to me. But, um, if they are not shutting down the source, um, that is a huge red flag for me and you can often tell if they are constantly having puppies and they're constantly purebred um there's also legislation especially in new york um that is going into effect next this year um that you're no longer allowed to sell dogs cats and rabbits at um in pet stores unless it is from a rescue organization so there are puppy mills that are filing for what is it? Five five oh three. Five oh one three C. Five oh one three C. You know what mm-hmm. it is. They're yeah. filing yeah. for that status and creating a nonprofit um, that is misleading people, and then they're just putting their puppy mill dogs in there because of this legality. Um, right. The nonprofit will buy the dogs from the puppy mill, and then turn them around to rescue them. Well, not even. And so the nonprofit They're the same. isn't making money. Well, yeah, it's the same thing. But like the nonprofit isn't making money, but the mill still is. Yes. Um, okay. With that said, 
If an organization is not a 501c3, that is a red flag. Yes. But <laughs> that that categorization is not an end-all be-all. So look into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you can get – you can be a – person who's just like has a yard with like you know 50 dogs in it mm-hmm. and and a network of foster homes for these dogs which is like basically your friends and still be a nonprofit mm-hmm. and you can say oh this is this is very much like the fur mama like kind of like um stereotype of just like I'm rescuing all these precious babies and you know I have a rescue mm-hmm. and it's just really like taking dogs that either were like found on the street or whatever like transferring them from an out of state and then just like having a place for them and then trying to adopt them out and it's like are you actually doing good here or are you just like think you're rescuing which is a whole other thing, but they could be a registered nonprofit, the 5013C. Um, which, speaking of, there's a website called GuideStar. And I talked, Izzy and I actually did an episode and we talked about GuideStar and finding the right rescue. So I'll put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to like re listen oh, to that. This is so interesting. I just pulled it up because I've never heard of it. Yeah. So you can search for the nonprofit in here. And sometimes you have to, like, make sure you're finding the right info on the nonprofit. Like, sometimes they have, like, like the title name of the nonprofit is different than maybe, like, what's listed on their website. You know, if it's called, like, you you call it pause, but it's really, you know, people advocating, you know, with strength or, like, whatever. I don't know. Like, you know, it could be. I don't know. It just, yeah. So it, you have to. You have to make sure you're entering the right name in there. But there is the info on the nonprofit. So you can see how long they've been around, like their board of directors. You can see Mm -hmm. ratings on there. You can see – and because they're a nonprofit, they should also be showing all of their um, tax information. They can show that. But also on that note of like if you're looking up a nonprofit and you're trying to make sure that they are one – most of the time, a good nonprofit will have all that w- info on their website as well, like the mm-hmm. board of directors. And then you can start looking up those people and, you know, the CEO and the CFO of these nonprofits and stuff like you. you sh- They should be very, very um, transparent. transparent. Yeah. Yeah. With all that info. Yeah. So, yeah, GuideStar. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Love that. Yeah. I haven't used it a bunch, so I can't say like. This is a tried and true, but it is a good, a good, it's useful a resource. tool. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the red flags, Ashley. Purebreds. Uh, purebreds, puppies. Um, yeah, lots of puppies. Uh, <laughs> I have another one. <laughs> if, if the, all the animals are like dirty or like not very well taken care of looking Mm -hmm. because i know this sound like i think a lot of people think that when they get a rescue dog it should look like a rescue and be like emaciated and like dirty and like oh it came from the streets but more often than not a good rescue or shelter will have like bathed the dog gotten them onto some kind of flea and tick thing um you know, overfed them, if anything. Usually the dogs in the shelters are overfed. And um, like in while they're Dumps in the shelter. Like vet care. Yeah, yeah. Like while they're in the shelter, at least. And there's actually like, many dogs that are in the shelters or in rescues that are um, already obese when they come in mm-hmm. because right. the last people <laughs> did not take very care, good care of them. Or maybe they were rehomed because it was like an older person who passed away or, you know, who knows? Like that kind of thing so so yeah i think that's another kind of red flag of if like every dog that you see looks very scruffed up because mm-hmm. yeah. they should have just like a a smattering of different types of dogs different types of sizes and weights and like health yes. and stuff yes in the shelter i'm like really blanking well, on what else <laughs> it's okay um adoption fee pricing 
can be a red flag. Not that like some places are going to have higher pricing. Some places are going to have lower pricing. Um, I am not inherently against pricing puppies higher to help cover vet costs for some of the less adoptable dogs. Um, but if you're paying the same amount as a res- at a rescue as you would at really any breeder, um, you're paying too much. And that's just, it's just a red flag. Like, why are they charging so much? Are they making a profit? Is this legit? Like, mm-hmm. My- why is the adoption fee $1,600? like yeah yeah, i say get yourself a well-bred dog anything like over like a grand within the ballpark Mm -hmm. of a grand is like by far way too much um yeah yeah and it definitely depends regionally too yeah and i know there's like inflation and stuff like happening but i would even say like yeah like 700 i would say like 600 yeah would be too high it depends it depends on if they if they line item it out with like okay usually our adoption fee is 150 or whatever like that's what's listed on the website but then they tack on if you're adopting from like out of state they need to do some kind of transfer with a partner that they work with then i could see you know a a transfer like a transportation fee being tacked on you know with like okay if you're not able to come get the dog yourself then you know we work with this you know like private airline or like whatever i don't know to get the dogs to you and that's an extra 200 or something even even if they just broke down the pricing like okay let's say it's 800 dollars, i think that's too much but if they broke down like okay the dog got it like we got the dog the adoption fee is 250 the dog had to have surgery or the spay neuter cost this much, you know, the vaccinations cost this much, and then they broke it down. Or um, contri- contribution to uh, our pool for vet funds or whatever. Like, I yeah. just, it would I don't be, think I would pay above four to six hundred. Yeah, unless they'd broken it down. I it's agree with that. Just a big red flag. Um, speaking of though, what you were saying, Charlotte, that's usually another red flag is if the pet or if the dog doesn't come spay or neutered and vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, but also like there are some more forward thinking rescues that like are like, will let you wait to spay neuter a puppy. Um, which like, I, I understand both takes. I'm not actually against pediatric spay and neuter in, in rescue only. Yeah. Um, but like in rescue, but I do appreciate that some rescues are like, okay with it, but there's always going to be some sort of provision for it. So the one I'm thinking of is here in Denver and they're not, they're not an amazing rescue. There's some big red flags, but one thing that's good that they do is you can pay an extra deposit and then you get that deposit back when you submit proof of spay neuter by one year old, but they'll let you keep your puppy intact until one. Okay, um, that's interesting. Which I kind of like that's a, because yeah, it's an there's some sort of consequence. It. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't know how well it works. I I know a few people who have gotten their dogs from them and taken advantage of that. But you know, I, think, I don't know if they I think do have. The red flag it. would be at the very least if the dog is over one and they're not spayed or neutered. Yeah, usually, like usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, I think, and if that- they had no provision for it, like there should be a provision for the spay neuter. Well, for sure. I'm pretty sure there's a law in New York that any dogs that are transported into the state um, have to be neutered. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's got to I apply to that. rescues. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that would apply to breeders' dogs. No, no, but transferred as in like for a, a rescue or yeah. for a rescue. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Across yeah. state lines, um, well, I think that makes sense because you could potentially just be giving this problem to another mm-hmm. state. Yeah, as far yeah, as, yeah. Because since many shelters and all of that are like state funded or city funded rather than federally, so yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I wonder what the rules are in Washington. Because usually if we were to accept transfers from out of state, I'm trying to remember, I feel like usually all of the dogs that we would accept were already spayed and neutered. Mm. You know what? You know what? Never mind. Don't listen to me. That that could be wrong. Um, 
Well, no, I was thinking vaccines too because a lot of times we would. I I just remember having to enter. Oh, yeah, in, like, every dog should come from a with a vaccine. Their vaccines, period. Yeah, well, age appropriate vaccines. Yeah, but I'm I'm just thinking of the transfers from shelter to shelter. I don't know. Oh if, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I was trying to, but like yeah, if you're if they're being adopted out, vaccines usually some kind of like flea and tick thing as well. Um, yeah, should have been some kind of treatment with that. Heartworm test if they were from a an area that it's prevalent in. Um, you wrote down or you mentioned to Charlotte, like international rescues is a red flag. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like all international rescue is bad. Um, you know, it's, it's different ethical standpoints on whether you support international rescue as a whole in general or not, but international rescue can be a red flag. Um, because it's like, especially if it's paired with meat trade dogs there's there's it's much easier to like hide where the dog comes from i uh like i recently read this story this is awful awful um of a woman who gave up her dog because she wanted it to have a better life but it was very very loved and in iran and then the dog has just gone from shelter to shelter rescue to rescue here because it's like now should honestly is a be case and i'm like did that woman understand what she was doing this dog was loved and well cared for as stated by the rescue so why did it end up in canada well i'm sure like, it wasn't loved and well cared for like it well, was it was probably my guess what you I, I don't know the story, but my guess is maybe she had like an abusive husband who would sometimes kick the dog. And she's like, maybe. very loved, well fed, like all of that kind of stuff. But I need to get this dog out of this situation. Maybe, but also like, it does not seem far fetched to me at all that a white savior type organization is mm. coming, going somewhere and miss either miscommunicating what's happening the woman's misinterpreting there's maybe a language barrier That's coercing true. in some way like it just i think that there's just a lot of shit that can happen when you bring in international borders that maybe maybe wouldn't happen otherwise i i have an example of someone in my family who adopted a dog from spain um Adopt a Spanish Padenco, ni nice dog, but very dog aggressive, ends up with this dog from Spain and doesn't get along with their other dog and um, can't send it back because it's from Spain. <laughs> like, mm. And that was a big issue. Um, and and yeah. so I think there's just a lot of ethical considerations like, okay, now you can't send the dog back, even if it's a good rescue. You can't send the dog back. So Yeah. I think if if it's if, an international it's a meat rescue trade dog. Yeah. If it's an international rescue, then they need to have a domestic branch that is responsible yeah. still for those dogs. Like so if they're like, okay, yes. we will transfer all these dogs to the US. They need to be able to, as you said, like take them back or be responsible for, you know, some aspect of them. Yes. And if you see like another thing is people saying they're from the meat trade to play the sob story um, and it'll be this tiny little dog or a purebred dog. And that makes no logical sense if you think about it. It's, I mean, yes, some dogs are from the meat trade. Some rescues are doing good jobs rescuing dogs from abusive situations in the meat trade there's also a whole lot of colonialism that goes into this um but seeing meat trade can be a red flag if you look and like it's a purebred dog because i no always yes. dogs no one's eating small dogs there's no meat on a small dog they're not eating a small dog and you <laughs> see like this like a golden retriever in a cage and it's like save me from the meat trade and it's like this like they're perfectly a lot of times they're like well taken care of looking like they're groomed yeah. and stuff and they're like save me and you, you gotta take a step back and be like would this dog really end up in this situation i mean and like, that may is be pessimistic. this a puppy mill is yeah. this a puppy mill from thailand is this uh you know a stolen dog that happens <laughs> like there are places um 
I don't know where exactly. I know that this exists, though, that like places that steal dogs and then put them up for rescue. I yes. mean, that's what George Santos did. Well, yeah, yeah. And so that's I think you have a lot more risk of that with the international. There was a, yeah. a couple um, organizations in London that I was always I mean, per the people who got dogs from them, they were a great organization and rescue. But I was always a little like leery kind of of it because I was like, you know, we rescued this dog like this or this organization got this dog from Turkey, from Greece, from like it was a street dog. And now it's, you know, going to doggy markets in London and well taken care of. And and you, I did always kind of wonder, like, was this are they just taking dogs like from shelters there or are they like, well, taking dogs from street, people like like you said, the well, the savior dogs. thing. Yeah, there's a lot of colonialism inherent in international rescue, for sure. But also, street dogs are not always homeless. Like, when I was in Ecuador, I was asking my cousin about all the street dogs around. They were like, yeah, people just, like, let their dogs out during the day, and they run around, do doggy things, and they come back at night. Yeah. It's like, okay, so is a white country coming in, taking up these street dogs during the day, and they had homes? Like, that's problematic in and of itself yeah and it's i i mean i don't know i we're getting into a separate issue here about it is international rescue issues it's just something to be leery of like just like we said yeah do your research look into Do your research look yeah like i think an international rescue rescue you're going to kind of have to automatically look into it more and use more critical thinking skills like Mm -hmm. i i think international rescue is not always bad or unethical but it's always a red flag that needs to be looked into, if that yeah. makes sense. And I think you touched on another red flag, too, is the ability to return a dog, which yes. is also a red flag with breeders if they don't allow that. Like if they're a breeder, a rescue, a shelter should have a policy that they will take the dog back if needed down the road. Or it requires taking the dog back, which there's some legal issues involved in that but that's at least if they require it or will take it back that's at least showing that they care about the outcome of the dog yes yeah like if you are to rehome this dog in the future we require that you return it back to us i don't yeah i think the requirement thing is is not as needed but always the ability to take it back is recommended like a a a little you know line in the adoption papers I think that's if there's no contract, that's a deal breaker for me. There we go. Yeah. Like if they just hand over the dog and they're like, here you go. They just hand over a dog or I just have an understanding with my puppy parents. And I'm like, that's not a contract. That's not Mm -hmm. it. Contracts protect breeders and you and the dog. And like and just the presence of a contract shows that the organization, whether a breeder or a rescue, cares about the cares about the well-being of the dog. Like, yeah, Yeah. there should always, always be a contract when you get a dog. Yeah. Well, I guess that doesn't get into the whole private rehome thing, which is also not inherently unethical. Well, and that's why why we talked about – Shades of gray. (laughs) I mean, that's why we're going through the details of this right now. And we are getting more into, like, the adoption thing. You know, I think anyone who's probably listening to these episodes, like the FWAD squad, probably already has a dog. And, you know, they probably already know a lot of these things. But if they're looking into, like, I want to support this rescue or I want to give my money towards them or recommend them to a friend, these are the type of things that you need to – that I would, like, look at. Like, are they checking off all these boxes? Because then I would be like, yes, Betty from across the street, I highly recommend, you know, this shelter or this rescue or whatever. Because yeah. they're not going to know to do any of this stuff. And so I think just being a, a more knowledgeable dog parent, even if you're not looking to adopt or anything like that, just knowing these things is probably smart. There are also like issues of bad policies and how they treat people. Um, mm. So I have a couple of examples for this. Uh, my dog Kiki, everyone everyone who's listening probably knows she was a behavioral euthanasia case. Um and her rescue is not a rescue I would support now, knowing knowing more. And it's um, 
I've, I've seen some of the bad policies they have. There was some bad stuff in their contract that I didn't realize was bad. But also, they just didn't treat me well. And I know that I'm not the only person who has been treated poorly by this rescue. I had to put down my dog for BE with BE. I was, you know, a mess. And this dog had no chance of living a happy, healthy life. And they were guilting me and pressuring me to return her, send her to a sanctuary. They were, they were just weren't nice. And then I sent them an email, like a nice email, like, you know, it was very peaceful. I know this is what was best for her. You know, I've known her. I'm the one who's known her for the last 14 months um, and got no response, like none whatsoever. Her rescue partner in Texas responded. I mean, they were very sad and I'm not sure I would recommend them either, but at least they responded nicely. Um, so how they treat people, definitely, I'm like, yeah, is that inherently a deal breaker if they're dicks to people versus nice maybe not but it definitely says something about the character of the organization and whether i want to at least give financially mm -hmm. um my other example is this is a surprise for you guys i applied to adopt a husky recently oh my god charlotte charlotte no this is oh my god why oh, see fine. i know it would be mad you are you are okay. an adult you will I'm make your own decisions you will make your own decisions <laughs> number Number one, my dog has been dead for two months and, you know, I'm I'm starting to feel like I might be ready for the second one to come in because I am a two-dog home. Um, and this dog seemed like a really good fit uh, for what I would be interested in and with Ginsburg. Um, and I was, I was talking to his adopter. It wasn't just like out of nowhere, like from a Facebook post. I was like, it's such a good fit. Yeah. Um, I was talking to his adopter about him. And... They, um, and you know, it's just not, I was like, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it's not meant to be, it won't happen, but I'm going to make the option available. Yeah. Um, and they denied me and their reason for denying me was that I rent. Um, hmm. don't get me started on the classism, yeah. ableism, any number of isms that go along with that. Um, and that's, that's a bad policy. Like that's just a bad policy, especially to apply straight across the board. Yes. Um, it's kind of like the whole like needs to have a fenced in yard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's very similar to that. And like, I understand it comes from a good place of wanting the dog to have a stable home. But at the end of the day, stability is not whether you rent or whether you own a home. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I, that's so especially like not a good policy because we know as millennials that like we will like except I can't for carly <laughs> like, like i wish i had a house we will, what? We will probably like not be able to own homes <laughs> yeah right yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's very classist ageist you know structural racism in there ableism in there you know it's 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 not a good policy and it's like okay would i if they turned around tomorrow and were like we changed our mind would I still want to pay the adoption fee and take this dog? Like, I think he's a good fit. I think he and Ginsburg would get along great. There's a reason I applied for him. I am in the space where I am not actively seeking another dog, but I am very open to another dog coming in. Um, and, you know, I, and I thought he might be the right dog. Would I want to support that rescue? I, I don't know. Like, yeah. Would it, it it's, that's tough because yeah. I'm like, this I is think, a bad policy that I don't just support. Do I want to give you my money just so I can get that dog? Like, I, I have all these morals and then I went and applied with a rescue that I don't know. I don't know that I actually support them. I just like the dog. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like I think that's the thing, too. That one is a lot more nuanced because I'm sure the rescue has to... I mean, and in any rescue shelter breeder, even, you know, they have to like constantly weigh the pros and cons of each person or each applicant for those animals. And and so if they have someone who is like, I've had a husky before, I have a house, you know, like, you know, like whatever, they're, they're going to go towards that person because which, as I said, like, as you said, classism 
like there's so much who's that's wrapped up into that but they're like what is the highest chance of this dog or sorry they have to weigh what is the highest chance of this dog not being returned to right and i think i was speaking with his foster and she does not support that policy and she actually rents so uh yeah and she was like it i they've had a lot of dogs come back to them from people who have moved mm-hmm. apartments that didn't and and the rescue they have other dogs but they are a rotty rescue um primarily and so they're also dealing in breed specific uh, not breed specific legislation but like breed restrictions in apartments so i ca- i can see where it comes from a good place but that's not should not be a flat out denial across the board yes and based on their denial i'm pretty sure they didn't read my application they just saw i was a renter and done Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know i don't even know if i will be able to rescue ever because ginsburg's intact and i'm not going to spare for the possibility of a dog because it's much healthier for golden retrievers to to remain intact you're basically never supposed to spay a female golden retriever and I mean, it's, that's a big red flag, rightfully so. But like you look at the individual circumstances. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like you have to each shelter and rescue has to look at the individual or breeder, look at the individual circumstances. And I think that's probably, as you said, like how they treat people. Did they even read the application? Obviously not. Yeah. You know, because if they had seen that, oh, this person, you know, has had another like has had had a hound dog in the past and it was fine in the apartment and things like that or if they had a specific joring and like i do these activities with my dogs that huskies excel at yeah (laughs) has a golden retriever like from a breeder you know like then there's certain things that tell the the agency the organization like that this person is not going to be the type to just up and leave their dog if they move, no, you know, and, like, and anyway, so, so yeah, I think that's like the red flag thing is having blanket policies like that. And you don't, as you said, how they treat don't look people. holistically. Yeah. My, a, f- a friend of mine, um, her dog, she adopted years and years ago um, when she applied for her. And then she like looked on the website and saw that they, they had like a blanket, like you need to have a yard policy. And she like asked them about it. Cause she was like, she met the dog at an adoption event. She's like, you guys told me that like this dog like is not very mobile and like doesn't like can't go downstairs. So like, why would she need a yard? And they were like, oh, don't worry. Like we just put that to give it to have like a reason. Like if we ever want to deny someone, we can just say it's because you don't have a fenced in yard. Mm -hmm. Um, And they gave her the dog. Um, I appreciate that they looked at her holistically i also don't like the use of policies as a deterrent yeah. or an excuse yeah, when you just don't like someone it's it is interesting though like from the shelter perspective of i i agree you don't want to have to use policies as a deterrent like the use of it in that way but also it's extremely hard to tell someone that they are not like we're not giving yeah. you this dog for for a reason that sometimes cannot be verbalized sometimes it's like i you have bad vibes yeah sometimes it's just like a gut thing sometimes it's like it's just like sometimes it's we have a better applicant and then no one likes to hear that either you know like we have someone else that we think will be better and then they start being like well what is better about them like i could provide a loving home to a dog and it's like yeah we're sure you could but, you know, and or sometimes people like I and this is a whole nother episode that I can like talk about <laughs> shit people say when they're trying to get a dog. But, like I remember someone coming in wanting they're like, yeah, we just want like a family dog, you know, like middle age, like four years old, you know, like some like kind of like just quiet to hang around. This is my first dog. But my husband's had a few. and We have two kids and they're just wanted the family dog. Yeah. So great that they came, you know, to a shelter. They go in the back. We had so many options that could have fit their situation. They come back and they're like, we want the two puppies. And oh my God. And so we denied them because we were like, you littermate syndrome and your new owners. Yeah, that was very hard to verbalize to them though, because I'm sure they had the means and everything to to have taken those two puppies. And there really wasn't a specific reason except that it was like 
you said you wanted one thing and you wanted a different. And so then they're like, well, you know, maybe I go to the store for pants and I decide I want the coat. Kind of, you know, like they're kind of like they don't see it as like a red right. flag. They see it as like we saw something different and we want that. And we but we were just like that gives us red flag vibes. And and the fact that they wanted two puppies. That was another. Like, right. We were like, they were like, yeah, we just think, you know, one for each kid like that kind of like. And we were like, no. And and so but it was very hard because they just couldn't understand that's a whole. Did you yeah. explain like why you don't do two puppies usually? Yeah, and I talked this in about this in the um, our sweet life of five episode with Alestra is like the the sibling. Oh, sorry. Did did I did we did tell you, them why? Did, yeah. Did you guys yes. explain? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're okay. Yeah, I was gonna say like if you just say no and don't be like, well, we don't adopt puppies out together, but we would, you know maybe one puppy yeah like and here's why we don't adopt them together yes yeah no we did i was like we we okay we would say all that it was like an hour conversation in the lobby like okay (laughs) yeah sorry i was just trying to understand yeah no like i know littermate syndrome and i know you can avoid littermate syndrome too uh yes but it's definitely i think we i think we did end up like they did come back the next day and they did end up getting just one puppy Mm. like we didn't like outright like say no but we were like we were like, we don't why don't you guys together. come back, basically, is <laughs> yeah. what we kind of said. Like, come back and, like, think about this. And There's a waiting period. Yeah. <laughs> for you. Um. Anyway. So, okay. So, I think that's most of the stuff about shelter, rescue. I even think, you know, red flags with breeders, too. We didn't really go. We went over, like, if yeah. they're a puppy mill. But even, I feel like some breeders, when they're, I don't, to me... It's a red flag if they still retain any rights to the pet besides the requirement oh. to the to return if needed. It's a red flag to me if they don't, honestly. I think it's uh, super like I I think that's really scary. I don't so, like that. Yeah, I get why people don't like it and it's definitely like a back and forth thing, but I like that they're trying to keep their dogs from like being bred in like oh you buy a golden retriever and you get the full rights to it you can just go and mix it as a gold with a poodle like whereas if it's a limited registration dog you you can't just do that um and so that's a way that breeders keep their lions good and not devolving into backyard breeders and puppy mills and such so um Wait, so it is it is like a weird thing with like property though. Like I get that yes. it's like weird. I think that I actually like when breeders don't do it though or don't don't give you full rights. Wait, so is it so I think the, what I've seen in the past is breeders giving like only partial rights because if they decide to breed that dog again their themselves. That's the one that's a red flag that I've seen. Yeah, that I mean, that's like just a conversation you have to have with the breeder yeah. more so. And I think that's one way that – that is a way that breeders like grow their programs. Like it's called like guardian homes. Um, so you pay a discounted price or don't pay and you keep the dog as your pet, but breeding rights belong to the breeder. Um, it's common to sell breeding rights separate from a dog um, and not all breeders will even sell them. Which I think is good because it prevents backyard breeding, like, or at least a big deterrent. Yeah, I think I, I think know. that's it's, that's a, it's a tough. I one. think I think in the contract writing in like this dog cannot be bred with, or cannot be bred ever or something like that. I think that's fair, but not retaining any rights. So <laughs> to the dog. Sorry, my lawyer brain is coming out. Yeah, it's a uh, it's so there. My lawyer brain and my purebred dog. Uh, nerd brain um there's limited registration then there's full registration and limited registration is like i own ginsburg she's my dog she is my property but i bought her on a limited registration she can't be bred unless i had like the breeder's permission to change her to a full registration okay um i couldn't just do that yeah and then but if you sell a dog full registration, that includes breeding rights. And you can't show a limited registration dog. You can only show a full registration dog or co-own. Um, as a lawyer, I want to see a breeder retain um, 
uh, I'm trying to remember what it calls. I want to see a breeder retain the right to a dog. Uh, I think it's called a reverter. I don't know. I don't do property law, so I'm a little rusty. <laughs> but um, it's basically if you put this language into your contract, then at your death or if you no longer want the dog, first right of refusal, that's what it is. The breeder retains the first right of refusal. And so that means it becomes like the breeder's dog automatically if they want it. Um, and so in that sense, the breeder does retain an interest, but also makes it legal that contract legally binding because a lot of the contracts saying dog goes back to the breeder if you no longer want it are not legally binding. So you kind of want the breeder to retain an interest in order to protect the dog if something happens. I mean, I I think that's similar though to the the if a, a when you sign the contract when you adopt a dog at a shelter and they say if this dog should ever need to be rehomed again, they like we require they come back here or like something like that, like a contract rather than retaining any like property that that's the part that to me so, like it gives me it or it makes it's me kind start, of one or the other legally it, well yeah that's that's the issue is they're retaining that interest otherwise the dog doesn't have to go back to them so okay so because that's why so it's one or the other it just it concerns me it's it's not so much like i don't mind about the like go back to them I mean, I don't love the idea because if it's like grandma's dog and I like I would feel, you know, grandma passes away and I want the dog like I would feel very, like yeah. you know, I would be very angry if, you know, like all of a sudden I had to go back to the breeder or something. Right. Or the shelter for that matter, you know. Um, yeah. But I just don't I think the property thing is like I don't like the idea that anyone could still have any say in my dog's life. I agree. I agree it's yes. for the safety of the dog for the breeding part and to avoid backyard breeding. Like I agree with that. But also like if they had any say in my life and I wanted to move to the UK and Lupin was going in a crate under the, you know, in the airline or whatever, and they didn't like that idea. They they call that mistreatment of the dog. They could like contest that I wanted yeah. to do this thing with my animal. And and that's where this is why I need to be a dog lawyer. Yeah, like like it just, I have a whole lot to say about this too. Like yeah, so because I remember like I did tell um, uh, like I one of the uh, Lupin's rescue or Lupin's shelter that we got him from, um, we were close with the person who helped when all of the foxhounds came in, like from the breeder when mm -hmm. they were um. Right, because he was like a rescue. hoarding case. Yeah, from the hoarding case, yeah. So, and she had like two of them herself. And and so we all kind of like, we're in a Facebook group and stuff and we still, you know, like talk on there. And so we said we were going to, moving him to the UK and she was like very concerned. I mean, she didn't have any say in it, but if she did, or not her specifically, but if this rescue or shelter did have a say, I would have started to get a little anxiety. About it because she was just yeah. like, have you researched all of it? And it's like, yeah, I, I researched all of the ways and this is the best and I think it's okay for him. But so stuff like this is where I actually support dogs being legally considered property. A lot of people are like, they're considered property. I'm like, uh, they're property with rights. Like you can't just abuse them. But it actually makes a lot of sense that they're property because like, what if a rescue could come in and take your dog and just because you were going to move to the UK like that's that's also yeah. not right and so provisions like that aren't enforceable um and that like Kiki's rescue their contract had that they could do drop-in unannounced home visits and you were agreeing to that that's not enforceable yeah um and, like other some other crazy stuff in there that's just like there to scare you they must know it's not enforceable but like uh yeah sketchy so i think um, to round like, i don't like any contract that has that yeah to summarize basically a red flag could like if you look at the wording of any contract whether it's rescue adopter like rescue shelter breeder and if there's anything that kind of pings like mm, that's a little like explain this to me like why why would this be needed i think that's like a red flag not a deal breaker but a red flag. Right, right. Yeah. And and if you see where it comes from, I don't know, like if they're like, oh, yeah, we put that in there to discourage this. I'm like, uh, I don't like that, but okay, I guess you're not 
agreeing like you're not forcing me to do that kind of thing yeah because you can't i don't know if that made sense but yeah to round out this convo let's share like the personal things that we choose to champion slash support because this is and I and I honestly am like looking forward to hearing from you guys about this because this has been an issue for me a lot in the recent years because you know I used to work at the shelter or the vet and like be more hands on with the animals that I felt that satisfaction of like I am giving my time I am giving my energy and I am helping in this way and and then I would foster and like things like that now I feel like. I'll give more like monetarily, which I don't know like if I love. And then also there's a whole layer on there added of social media, you know, like (laughs) resharing, you know, this dog was found this like I feel like I'm inundated and it causes me a a good amount of like grief and anxiety just seeing post after post and people being like, why didn't you reshare it? And that kind of thing. So, yeah, I feel like. This almost could choir. be a whole other episode, but like we could maybe let's just like touch on it really quick. Which part? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to support Starsky's Rescue financially um, and like with sharing and stuff. Just in general, I like to support his rescue because they I've seen the work that they do. They are in the lowest income or one of the lowest income counties in New York, um, in New York State. And they, their goals are to keep pets in homes. Like they're not just trying to adopt out as many pets as they possibly can. They will like, they're willing to have a dog for a long time. If, if they have to, they run vet clinics when they can. Um, they have a prison program uh, where local inmates, um, they uh, train the dogs, and so it's enrichment for both the incarcerated individuals and for the dogs, makes the dogs more adoptable. Um, and actually, my friend, who she's the one who processed my application, then we became friends, was telling me recently about one inmate who he had worked with this dog during the program, and he was getting out soon. And as soon as he got out, he adopted the dog. He just had such a connection with his dog. And so I like that they're like a more holistic organization in general and that their focus is on, I, I call it rescuing them well. Don't just rescue them, rescue them well. Um, you know, help support the people who have the dogs and enhance quality of life, not, you know, apply broad sweeping policies to deny people. Yeah. And they're very holistic. They'll consider, you know, they'll they'll they considered me, and I know of other people they've adopted to who have been like twenty two years old, but like we're going to be a really good dog parent, and it was going to be a really good fit. And yeah, age was a red flag, but it ended up not being a deal breaker because they were willing to consider things. I like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's the kind of organization I like, and I don't see it a lot. I see it a lot from Starsky's Rescue. They're great, but I don't see it a lot in general. So I kind of just support them financially but as far as sharing on social i'll share pretty much any hound dog (laughs) whether it's an organization i'll adopt from or not (laughs) yeah (laughs) ashley (laughs) um i mean i try to make my money go as far as i can i try to spread it out you know all sorts of places but i really have a soft spot for um organizations that have community programs and are very in touch with like their local um area so say it's a rescue they work closely with the local shelter um say that the shelter has low um low cost vet clinics and um like dog food pantries and stuff like that though th- those are the ones that i just particularly love because i feel like it it helps um at the very root of some issues where like people are giving up their pets because they can't afford to feed them so the organization is giving people opportunities to take care of the dogs instead of surrendering them so those are ones i just really appreciate um especially in new york because you can see firsthand how much it helps um but yeah, I, I try 
to spread <laughs> myself thin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your take on the social media thing? Because I feel like you have a lot of people I who mean, are that's <laughs> in your face. Why I logged off? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, um, I did have someone once. Um, get very very mad at me and unfollow me because they sent me a picture of a dog that was severely abused um and was like can you please share um and funny enough in that post that they sent like the first image was like normal and it was like proceed with caution but she sent it to me on specifically on a photo where the dog was in its worst shape and I the my entire feed is sad abused neglected dogs and that one was very very graphic and I asked her I was like I said thanks for sharing this um but I ask you that maybe you ask if you can share something with me and prepare me for it because that that was very hard to see as you know a human being that sees all this stuff all the time and I was very very nice about it and she goes fine I'll never share you anything again and unfollowed me um why are people like this it was (laughs) so hard on me because like when I see something on Jonathan's account like I just I feel the necessity to share it and people always send me stuff because they're like, you have an audience. And they're like, can you please share this? And then what the? What if I say no? Because mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's too much. I can't share everything all the time. I'm doing the best I can. But I also don't want to like make people feel forced and guilt trip them um, Yeah. in order to do it. Because it's just, it's it's a lot to see all the time. Um Yeah. I think there's also a section of people who, like, believe, like, that they're doing their duty Mm -hmm. by looking at these pictures. You know, like, they're like, if the animal is suffering, therefore, like, the least I could do is look at these photos. But it's – which is, I like, you know, if that's how they need to, you know, champion their cause, then it's like that's their choice. But forcing other people to do it and sharing – photos in this way it's it's really hard especially if you're just like you know if you're already struggling with something else and and you open your app to see this like it just that's the part that really gets me a lot is just like I'm scrolling and it's like my decompression space and sometimes my job to like share on there and then I just see this thing that can just affect me so deeply and then you know I I can look at it like yeah but then I have overwhelming guilt for the next however long that I didn't then, you know, hit donate. But it's like if I hit donate for however much on every single one of those photos I see. You can't. It's just not sustainable. Exactly. It's not sustainable. And it's like, am I it's – a, it's a drop in the hat. It's like here's a penny to each one. You know, <laughs> like what is this actually going to do? And I think that's, also that's why – We compassion fatigue too. Or exactly. Yeah, no, you do. Like, you just, you see it over and over again. It's hard. And that's why I don't care. And I don't like that I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, you have to, like, numb yourself to it, which you don't want to have to do either. And that's why I wanted to do this episode. Because I was like, I feel like I'm deeply affected by this stuff a good amount. And I think the only way I've been able to cope is by knowing like this is the cha- this is the cause I champion and I'm sticking to it. Like these are my rules, these are my boundaries. And I just thought, you know, maybe other people could benefit from instituting boundaries or something as well. Agreed. I mean, yeah, I like personally I don't share dogs that need to be rehomed or that are adoptable or lost dogs. Like, I just – because I I feel like I come across it too much. If there's ever, like, a brand, a dog, anything that I share, it's purely from my own, I feel the need to do this and I'm going to do it. Like, I'm, like, going against my little rules. But, yeah, like, I get a lot of people sending me lost dog things. And I just – I'm like, what am I – 
I'm like the people who like I many of my followers aren't even in Seattle. Like I'm like, you know, like what if, you know, like I just I think that you would have so much like people's time would be so much better spent. I don't know, coming up with a plan to find this dog than just like sharing it around like reshare 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 lost dog and it's like a picture, you know? It's just I don't know. That's a whole other thing. I have found that like sharing I've sh- I've really only shared hound dogs and it's really only been like sometimes I'll share every now and then but since Starsky died I've wanted to share hound dogs a lot that's been like a grief yeah coping mechanism um so I've definitely been sharing more but it's definitely it's so personal and like yes I'm not always gonna feel like that I'm not always gonna feel like I want to share every single dog all the time but yeah I don't know I mean I think it's good that people do reshare like the the adoptable yeah, hounds or the adoptable dogs. It does dogs. give like, visibility. Yeah, like I I think it is good. I mean, I think um, Kristen of Winston the Aussie Coonhound found Reno through like an Instagram yeah. post or like someone she followed. So it's like I think I think it's good, and I love um, you know like learning more about dogs that are adoptable. It sometimes it's hard because I see them and I'm like, I want you. You would fit so well into our home. That's my issue. <laughs> and then I send it to Mike <laughs> and Mike's like, I agree. And I'm like, but we cannot. <laughs> like, we cannot do this. And it's, yeah. I've literally had people be like, I found my dog because you shared him. And then mm. that oh. makes me feel like I need to continue yes burning myself that's really out. nice and also a little bit sad because it burns you out so much but it's but another you feel like you have to it's another form of guilt it's like yeah. you know it's like I feel guilty for it's not like nice sharing. and heartwarming and but then you're like oh I need to keep sharing mm-hmm. and yeah and that's why I try to like cut myself off completely from doing all that stuff because it's not that I don't care it's just like I'm not choosing to champion a dog cause in that way like I think for me, yeah. my ones I've kind of assigned myself to is senior dogs, specifically old dog haven, because I think they they could they be interpreted exactly what I was saying before of like old ladies just fostering a bunch of old dogs and it's like a <laughs> network of foster homes and <laughs> like you could you could look at their system and be like, eh. but then you learn like they are a registered 5013C. They've been around for decades. Um, you know, just like they do the foster network, they don't have a brick and mortar because it is senior dogs and they want the senior dogs to be comfortable in a home, not in a shelter. And, you know, just like all the, and they pay for all the vet bills and they do like forever fosters where they cover everything. Mm-hmm. And hospice. I was, which was really cool. And I was introduced well, to them. Hospice. <laughs> yeah, hospice. That's cute. I've seen that before. Fospice. Yeah, it, it is like hospice. that. It's like a forever, a forever foster kind of thing. And I've really thought about doing that uh, maybe sometime in the future. But I, I got introduced to them through when I used to work at a vet hospital. And they were the vet hospital that w- partnered with Old Dog Haven. Oh, um, okay. Or one of them. Like, I think they had a few different vet hospital partners. But they got like a 20% discount. And these dogs got you know, like a big old dental extraction, like everything that these dogs need needed, they got done like at the vet. They, there was no like picking and choosing. It was just like, okay, like what do you, what does the senior dog need? The vet says they need all these things. Okay. We do it, which I liked. I liked that like from the get go, they weren't, well, you know, can the dental wait a while or the heart murmur's <laughs> not that bad or like whatever it was, you know? Right. So, Anyway, um, yeah, for me, it's senior dogs, which I think has been more near and dear to my heart as Lupin's gotten older. And then also, like, not one more vet, mm, like, vet mm-hmm, industry yeah. um, improvements, I guess, slash care. I don't know. Yeah, same. Yeah, those are my my few. All right. Good convo, guys. Yeah. No, that was good. That was woof. We've been so much for two 40-minute episodes, right? <laughs> I knew it would happen like this. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley knew. Ashley's you know, like, I, I want to go to bed. We covered a lot of 
we covered a lot of topics in this one. We really could have chopped yeah. it into two. So maybe that's a learning for us. Well, maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. I could. I'll <laughs> maybe just Carly will. <laughs> maybe there'll be enough to splice it together. Splice it all. Um, okay. Well, yes. Thank you, FWAD Squad, for listening. Um, we love you guys. Yes, we love you. Thank you again. And we will see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>content on the with a dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only it should not replace professional advice treatment or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian trainer or behaviorist